1: Our survey of the book of Luke continues with our look at the Ascension of Jesus next. Join us. Again, greetings in Christ and welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose continues our survey of Luke. We find ourselves here in chapter 24 focusing in on verses 44 through 53 today in a mini-series if you will called The Ascension of Jesus. We're looking at part three today. We would invite you to join us here with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace Now. Once again, Pastor Gary Wagner.
2: What we have and This section of Scripture is Luke's condensed account of some of the most important things Jesus said to his disciples during the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension to God's right hand. And then at the conclusion of these statements, all of which have to do with the mission that Jesus left for his church, the book of Luke concludes with the ascension of Jesus Christ to the right hand of God. Over the past couple of weeks together, we began looking at some of those statements and what they mean. They were given over the 40 days, but they all focused on the same thing, and that is the mission that God has given to His church in this world. And we saw in the second part of verse 47, the source of the church's mission and message to the world. Jesus says, thus it is written, do this in my name. Now, to do something in His name is to do something based upon the authority of his revelation contained in Holy Scripture. Thus it is written means it stands permanently written as the word of God. His word is where we find our mission to the world. That is where we find the message that we are to proclaim to the world. So that means that demand upon us is faithfulness to Scripture, faithfulness to His message, and faithfulness to His mission. And when you understand that, it should produce within you boldness, because you realize that the message and mission did not originate with you. It originated with Christ, so it is sure. And secondly, it produces within us humility, also because it did not originate with us. There is nothing, beloved, that we can brag about. There's nothing we can take credit for. It's all of the Lord. Then we looked at the second part of verse 46, and we saw the content of the church's message to the world. There was an indicative, a statement of fact, and there was an imperative, an issue of a command. We saw that the indicative statement is, and this is where the witness and submission of, and mission of the church begins, and that is the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the focus of all of Scripture. That is the focus of all of Christian life. That is the focus of faith, and that is to be the central theme of everything we proclaim to the world, which is the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially His life, death, resurrection, His ascension, His reign, and His coming again in clouds of glory. Now, we spent most of our time last week talking about the demands of repentance We saw that there are two kinds of repentance, if we go back to old Puritanism. They would say there is a legal repentance and an evangelical repentance. Legal repentance is when you try to straighten up your life and do better to make points with God. But we can't make points with God. All righteousness, Scripture says, is as filthy rags. We are called to make gospel repentance. And this is not an attempt to clean up your life, turn from your sin, to live for Christ, not in an effort to impress God, but simply because you love Him and He commanded that of you and you want to be as close to Him as you possibly can be, as faithful to Him as you can be. We looked at Charles Spurgeon's sermon on repentance, and we saw that repentance has four ingredients to it, It as illumination, humiliation, detestation, and transformation. When a person repents, he first of all understands some new things that he never really fully understood before, some things that God's Spirit enables him now to see he understands himself in a, in a new light, and he realizes he's not the good guy that he thought he was, but that he is indeed a rebel deserving of God's eternal damnation. And we saw that his mind is enlightened toward Christ. Christ is far more than he ever thought he was, that he is not simply a great teacher, but he is the Son of God incarnate, the only Savior of the world, whom he must embrace by faith alone if he is to be accepted into God's family and given eternal life. Then with that comes humiliation. That once you develop a proper understanding of yourself and of Christ, you are humiliated. You are not at all what you thought you were. And you are in fact far lower than what you thought you were. So you're a humbled With your face in the dust, which then leads to detestation, said Mr. Spurgeon. That is, you detest the sin in your life. You hate it because you know that it is not so much sin against other people, although it is that. But it is a disregard for the law of God who loves you. So you hate your sin and you hate yourself for your sinning. And with that comes transformation, that there is a transformation of your life. In repentance, there is a turning from the rebellious life that you were living before by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can live for God live in fellowship and communion with him in obedience to all his commandments and seeking to live for his pleasure and for his glory. And we saw that the divine blessings that come with repentance is the forgiveness of sins. If you have any sense at all, you realize that one of the biggest needs of your lives is that you have many regrets and sins that need to be blotted out and forgiven. And when a person repents of his sins and he comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, God makes a promise to that person. I will count your sins against you no more. And that is what we are to announce to the world. Now, let's continue to look at more of these statements. Look at verse 47. And that repentance, forgiveness of sins, should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now, in these two verses, you have the divinely commanded means by which this gospel message is to be delivered to the world. It is not simply to be lived out before the world. It is to be proclaimed, and it is to be borne witness to. So there you have two words that define the means that God has appointed by which this message is to be delivered to the world by heralding and by witnessing. Now, let's come to an understanding of those two words. The word for proclaim there in verse 47 is one of the most important words in the entire New Testament. It is a verb, and the noun of that verb is someone who acts as a herald. Now, what is a herald? He is someone who proclaims in public a message that someone else has commissioned him to deliver. And all that herald or proclaimer or preacher is to do is to announce that message. He is not to embellish it. He is not to supplement it, not to detract from it. He has simply been commissioned with the authority to do one thing, and that is to speak on behalf of the one who sent him the message, and nothing but the message of the one who sent him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, we read, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of preaching. Now, that's not evangelizing. That's not witnessing. This is a distinct word to herald or to preach. So here you see this powerful instrument that God himself had ordained, through which the message of the gospel is to be presented to the world. It is the heralding, the official announcing, the proclaiming and preaching of that Word by one sent by Christ to deliver that message. In Romans 10, we see why preaching is such a powerful thing. It is not because of the voice of the preacher, or his personality, or his eloquent preaching. Notice why preaching is so powerful an instrument in the delivering the message that God has for the world. Romans 10:13 through 15. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How shall they then call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it, as it is written, "How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings." of good things. That is the same word Luke quotes Jesus as saying, proclaiming and preaching, heralding. Now, notice the link up in Romans 10. It says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is, whoever worships Christ as Lord will be saved. But the next thing it says is, how can they call upon him in whom they have not believed? You have got to believe to call on him. And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? Now let that sink in a minute. No one is going to worship Jesus as Lord unless they believe in him. And no one is going to believe in him unless they have heard him. You've got to hear Jesus in your heart to be able to believe in him. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, my sheep hear my voice. So faith is produced by the powerful voice of the Lord Jesus Christ that only the hearts of God's people can hear. So whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How can they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How can they believe in him whom they have not not heard? And then notice the next question. How shall they hear without a herald, without a preacher, without a proclaimer? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Now notice the linkage. If you call upon the Lord, you'll be saved. But you're not going to call upon the Lord unless you believe in Him. And you're not going to be able to believe in Him unless you hear His voice. And where is Christ's voice normally to be heard? In the heralding, the proclaiming, the preaching of the Word of God. And not by just anyone that stands up and says, Okay, I'm going to preach the Word of God today. It is to be by someone who has been sent and commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to preach that word. Let me give you a little Greek lesson. There is a Greek word for preacher in the New Testament. And it is kerox. That is the word here. But the word kerox for preacher hardly ever occurs in the New Testament. And that is to emphasize the fact that the person, the preacher, is not the big deal. The preaching one, all he is, is a mouthpiece. So if a person is going to have faith in Christ and worship God and be saved, he must hear the voice of Christ. And the voice of Christ is to be heard in the hearts of sinners through those who are sent by him to preach that word. To herald it with all the authority of the one who originated that message, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's an important doctrine. It is an historic doctrine that has been held by all mainline Christian denominations for century after century. And it is important because it is being questioned today on all kinds of fronts. The primary place and primary structure of the ministry of saving grace is the local church. It is not the living room and it is not the local coffee house. It is the local church. Also, God's primary plan for reaching the hearts of children is to work through the visible church that is founded on the prophets and the apostles with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Now, why is that the case? Because God's primary tool for transmitting grace and truth from one generation to another and by which he will convict the world's nations, is the official preached word of God by one who has been sent to preach. Listen to our Westminster Larger Catechism. Now, this certainly is not in step with our times, but this is indeed the truth. Quote, "...the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, in effective means." Now, I'm going to read you in a minute some of the things the catechism says that the Word of God accomplishes. But did you notice this very important phrase? It is important to read the Bible. It is, in, it is supremely important to read the Bible regularly and consistently in a systematic way. But it is more important to hear with faith the preaching of the Word of God according to our catechism. It says, the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effective means. Now, notice, all the things the heralding of the Word of God is meant to accomplish and does accomplish. And then see how many of these things you've actually experienced in your own life. It is an effective means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners... "...of driving them out of themselves and drawing them to Christ, of conforming them to His image and subduing them to His will, of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, of building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation." And the word of God is to be preached only by such as are sufficiently given and, as so, and also duly approved and called to that office by Jesus Christ through his church. Now, that's not a popular view today. And that is actually the minority opinion. But nevertheless, that is an historical statement that I believe completely reflects the teaching of the word of God because it impresses us with the centrality of the preached Word of God in our lives as the primary means, the primary tool by which the living God brings the message of salvation to sinners and changes people's lives and converts the world. The word herald or preacher in the New Testament never, never refers to Christians in general. It's never applied to fathers, as important as the role of fathers is in bringing up children. A father is never called a preacher. In fact, the word preacher is not applied to ruling elders as such, but only to those called by Christ through the church to that office. So the preaching of the Word of God then is the chief delivery system for scriptural truth to the world's nation and peoples and to generation after generation. So why preaching over against the reading as the primary tool to bring God's word to people? Well, I'm not sure. Except many are inefficient readers. So God has ordained preaching. Now, how do you think a preacher feels when he stands up here and says that to you? You think I'm up here saying, oh, boy, I hope they're listening. I must be pretty good. Is that why a preacher, what a preacher feels when he thinks and has to say these kinds of things? But I can personally attest to the fact that it humbles the preacher into dust. I don't want to say these things because it puts a tremendous burden on my shoulders. A burden that is better suited for the shoulders of angels than the shoulders of men. Paul said when he was evaluating these things, who is sufficient for these things? And that was the Apostle Paul talking. And if Paul says something like that, what in the world should I say? Preachers are nothing more than fragile clay pots. And the Bible puts no emphasis on us whatsoever. Do you realize that? We are simply mouthpieces and instruments in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. His voice is everything. And Jesus Christ, as I have said many times through the past few years, is the only preacher of the gospel who can do you any good at all. My preaching can't do any good whatsoever, but when Christ takes hold of this preacher and preaches through me his powerful word, then he does things in your heart and in mine that only God can do. And that's why preaching is such a powerful instrument of God in changing lives in the world, because it is all of him. That is why, beloved, it is so important for you to be under the preached word every week as it is possible. This all means that although personal witnessing and home Bible studies are important, I'm not belittling that, they are very important. But it is by the foolishness of the faithful preaching that God is well pleased to save those who believe. Therefore, get yourself and your family regularly, continually, frequently, whatever the sacrifice under the faithful preaching of the Word of God. So that through that preaching, you might hear the voice of the shepherd. Get unbelievers and hypocrites under God's preaching. If you know any weak and confused Christians, get them under the sound preaching of the Word of God. Because the Bible says that the preaching of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to every one who believes. I believe that when we come to the end of time and we're standing before Christ on judgment day. And if we were to take a poll going around asking all the billions of Christians what was the circumstance in which you were saved? I'm sure that the vast majority of them would say it was during the preaching of the word of God personal witnessing is extremely important home bible study is important but one of the most important things that you can do in evangelism is to get people under the preaching of God and we shouldn't care why they come if they can come get them out even out of curiosity or for whatever reason it doesn't matter Because the power of the preached word is able to overcome whatever weak reason they might have for being here.
1: And that will bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number. 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, Post Mailbox, 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California,